Yo, it's a preface to the episode. Hey, that I'm Trevor's not here now. He's hey. so Trevor. And I'm suck here. up this Trevor this week. This is as much as you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you guys letting me have a break there. Got a lot of work going on. So you guys are going to get to enjoy more Philip and Vince on this episode and not my long-winded self. Yeah, I think you guys are still going to enjoy this particular episode. It was a super fun conversation with Courtney. But uh, this preface is not to tell you how super fun the conversation is with Courtney. Or how super absent Trevor is. <laughs> you guys will hear all of that in just a few moments. This is because this is the first episode you all will be hearing in September. We were recently nominated for the Best Local Podcast in Kansas City. Let's Whoa. go! So, so we were nominated, but you guys need to vote. I know we have a lot of Not listeners there, yeah. all over the country and a number of international listeners, but any of our listeners who are in Kansas or Missouri... And it might be, you might be able to vote if you're not in there. If you do vote, that would be dope too. But especially if you're in Kansas or Missouri, click the link in the show notes there. I'll have it linked directly to the pitches, best local podcast, because there's like 200 stinking different things that they nominated this year. So we'll make best it easier for you. Whatever. We'll, yeah, we'll take like you right to the URL to go for a best local podcast. So. It's not the biggest thing in the world, but it's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. And we, we wanted to share that with you guys. That would be a fun thing to kind of have on our website, the best local podcast in Kansas City in uh, 2021, which is crazy. So if you guys love listening to The Substance as much as we enjoy recording it, go ahead and hit us, a, give us a vote. Yeah, Throws. hit that link, um, select The Substance. It will prompt you to create an account. Just make sure if you don't want any prompts or any newsletters or anything from the pitch, you just leave that part out. Um, and then it'll allow you to submit that vote. And we would love it and appreciate it. And thank you so much. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, it takes like 30 seconds. Just give them your name and email. and say, You can even say, hey, don't email me anything. Yeah, so, and it's free. So, so vote, vote for the substance. And enjoy. All right, guys. Enjoy the episode. Landed on the Substance, a podcast aimed at being biblical, thoughtful, and human. Join us each week as we engage the culture without the culture war. I'm your host, Philip Marinello, joined here by today my singular co-host, Vincent Edwards. What's up? What's up? <laughs> Trevor is uh, doing a whole lot of work stuff. He is working hard, putting in yep. the hours. So uh, wasn't able to make it this week, but. Uh, you, you hear Trevor a lot. He'll be on next week. Don't worry about it. And uh, we're joined also today by our guest, Courtney Ellis. Welcome, Courtney. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. A little behind the curtain here. Thanks for deciding to uh, jump on with us short notice here. I've seen you on Twitter and Instagram now recently as well. Uh, and shout out to uh, Karen Swallow Pryor for, I saw that she had endorsed your most recent book, before we jump into the book and, and the various messages, and it looks like you've written a number of other books too, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, where did you grow up? How did you come to faith? Who is, who is Courtney and how did she get here? Sure. I, I grew up in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. I'm a Midwesterner at heart. Go Badgers. Go Packers. 
And I came to faith as a five-year-old. My parents took me to church every Sunday and a lot of Wednesdays. I grew up in the evangelical free tradition. And I remember one of those altar calls where I raised my hand and I prayed the prayer. And then I prayed the prayer 17 or 18 more times over the months just to make sure it stuck. It was a little bit like, that. right? Like you want to, you're going to believe in Santa on Christmas Eve just to make sure, even though you're 14, right? You just want to cover yeah. all the bases. Yep. Um, <laughs> And really just started to grow into my faith. And I was baptized when I was 12 in a little lake at Honey Rock Camp. If you know the the connections, Wheaton College and Honey Rock Camp have a longstanding history. And my dad was a Wheaton alum. So that was the camp we were connected to. And then I went to Wheaton College um, after saying I would never because my dad went to Wheaton College and I was so tired of the football stories and the glory days. And I was like, fine. <laughs> I can tell this is where God wants me to go, but I'm not going to go to a single football game. You're on your own, Dad. If you come to visit, you can go by yourself. And after my 18-year-old arrogance waned, we went to a lot of football games together and had a lovely time. That's Um, nice. It was. It was great. I I met my husband there the first day of freshman year. Hey, there you go. Right, and just you like, still got your degree. Way to go! <laughs> I, he asked me out. I turned him down. We were good friends for four years. I told everyone in my circle I would never date him, never date him, because he was very serious about his faith in a way that I wasn't sure I wanted to be yet. Hmm. When I met him, he wanted to be an evangelist. He wanted to be the next Billy Graham, and I was like, "Whoa, that's a lot. That's yeah, a lot for an eighteen-year-old." Um, but we kind of grew up together. We were friends and we, we dated senior year. We each got a master's degree, mine in English, him in theology and got married a couple years after graduation, been married 14 years, three kids, and we both work in ministry. So it's a really wonderful, wonderful interplay, wonderful partnership to be able to share that together and go deeper with the Lord, not just within the walls of our home, but together within the walls of our church as well. That's awesome. So tell us about your your writing journey and how you started to like know I want to write books and then you wrote a book and you wrote another book and then you wrote I've another book for a number of outlets as well here. Yeah. You so see? tell us just tell us uh, the kind of the intro and the journey to getting into to writing. I have always written. I was the kid who always had a pencil. I always had a journal. I um, I was homeschooled briefly and one of our our assignments every day my mother would have us journal and I would not want to stop. My two younger sisters would write, today was very, 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 very long. There, I did a page, right? We're just wired very differently. They were way better athletes than I ever was. We we had different skill sets, but I've just always loved to write. And I Mm. I pursued it. Um, In college, I thought I'd go into journalism and just fell in love with the world of creative writing and then fell in love with the world of creative nonfiction. How can we tell a true story in a beautiful way? Mm. Right? So you can say the cat walked across the street. nonfiction. Yes. It's not, it's not fictional nonfiction. It's how can you tell the story in the most compelling, beautiful way? And we see Jesus doing this, right? Like it's, he's looking at Mm. what's around him and saying, okay, look at the birds. He's not saying God will provide for you, period, full stop. He's saying, no, hang on a second. Look at the birds. What does that open up in you? What do you notice? How does that change what I'm about to say? So in college, I decided maybe I'll be a writer. I'll pursue this with my life. And a wonderful professor, Kent Graham, he's no longer at Wheaton College. He's at, um, he's in Gettysburg now working at the University of Gettysburg. But he, he said, if you want to be a writer, be a writer, but pursue a vocation that will pay for your life 
Because writing very is a wise hard words, <laughs> very very and, wise words. Yes, and if you're designed to be a writer, if you have that within you, you will write no matter what. The writing mm. will just happen, and that's really been true for me. So I'm very grateful for the vocation of ministry and the ways it informs my writing and the way the writing helps my ministry. They speak to each other and they help each other. Um, but I write because I can't help it. It's a less destructive habit than some. <laughs> a very right? good form of self-expression and therapy, just kind of getting things out. Yeah. Yes. I'm not buying expensive mountain bikes. I'm writing, right? Like it's... <laughs> so Courtney, uh, on the writing journey, I'm always fascinated where you probably remember all your milestones and obviously the books are, are very big ones. What was kind of in the small sense, the first piece you got published? And then what was like your first piece that you got published by an outlet that you felt like, oh, like, I kind of feel like I'm a real writer now. Like I can put that in my bio because I've been published by XYZ outlet. Yeah, I I think I still have most days I don't feel like a real writer, mm. right? It's it's the imposter syndrome that I think follows many of us for our sure. whole lives. Um, the first moment of maybe I can do this was with that same college professor who I ran into him in the dining hall. I'm a senior in college trying to figure out what's next. What do I do with my life? And he says, you know, that writing contest you entered. And I, I said, I didn't enter a writing contest. And then there was this long pause and he was very soft spoken and, and, and shy. And, and he looked at me and he said, I entered you in a writing contest. <laughs> I said, Whoa, wait, what? And he goes, well, anyway, you can be upset at me if you want, but you won and the award ceremony is next week and you should come. And it was this moment <laughs> oh, of wow. someone believes in me. This was a professor who'd been nominated for a Pulitzer, right? Like he was and in his words, well, lots of people were nominated, right? Just very humble, but recognized sure. something. And it gave me that spark. And I didn't win first, but I won third. And it was like, okay, there's something to reach for. Maybe maybe this can be something that's I can do. That's kind of extra special, right, Courtney? Because you weren't even trying. You didn't even actually try to enter that I was, contest. I was trying to get an A in the class. That's all I was right. trying to do. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Do you remember what uh, what you wrote on? I wrote a story about growing up playing ice hockey in Wisconsin, playing on the, the first girls ice hockey team in the state of Wisconsin. Oh, right. yeah. Was wow. that some creative nonfiction? It was creative nonfiction. It was. And so much of the storytelling that comes out in my writing is from my family. My dad is a wonderful storyteller and it's always very self-deprecating. He has this wonderful line of humility in all of it. And I think that that has just woven itself into the way I write. My, my most recent book that came out was dedicated to my parents who in many ways taught me how to play and how to be playful with life, with faith, with, with everything. So, um, I love getting pieces published in CT and Christianity today always feels mm -hmm. like there's this wider conversation I get to be a part of. I'm hoping one day, I'm hoping yeah. one day they'll say yes to something I, I put out there. Yeah. Keep pitching, we'll keep pitching. Yeah. I, I tell the story in this book of how I pitched to the New York times every month and I've been doing that for years and so That's far awesome. nothing parable of the persistent widow. I will either yep. get published or I will die one day, right? <laughs> well, you've already got three books. So like, that's just extra. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So, uh, Courtney, a lot of times they say good writers are good readers. What, what was the, the role of reading in your early life and mm. now? That's one of the things I love about Karen Swallow Pryor and how she keeps putting great books in front of people and writing about great books and that the Christian imagination, her new series is so fun. So fun. Mm. They take these classic books and then kind of doing what we do here on the show, we've been, we're going to get her on one of these days to talk about Frankenstein, but just to take these works, these timeless classic works, 
that are extremely substantive that a lot of people kind of are surface level familiar with, familiar with rather, and then just kind of showing you how 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 full of meaning and excitement and beauty yeah. and value they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And that we don't need to be afraid of something just because it doesn't have an official Christian stamp on it, that we can read (laughs) the best literature the world has to offer and read it through this lens of faith and Christian imagination and, you know, moral understanding that isn't, this is all a great example, right? (laughs) Things have gone wrong. Yeah, not like Jesus juking everything. Right. Right. Yeah, that there are (laughs) layers and there's depth and there's meaning. And In graduate school, I read John Steinbeck's novel, East of Eden, for the first time and just Mm. absolutely fell in love with it. I still need to read that. You do. It's a modern retelling of Genesis. It's creative, fictional, nonfiction. And I just fell in love with these characters and the richness of their story and the complexity and the villains who also had motive. And I told Daryl, my husband, you can propose, but I can't marry you until you've read the entire Chronicles of Narnia series and East of Eden. And he was like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> I have standards. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's an excellent story. I'm very glad you shared that with us. Man, <laughs> setting that bar in there. Did it take him a long time? Is he a reader? Um, he is a nonfiction reader. He is the guy okay. who falls asleep with a thick theology book found in hardcover, Man. 600 pages, and he's going to give himself a concussion, right? He lays next to me in bed at night, and I'm like, sweetie, put it down. Like, I see it. I see it. You're getting tired. <laughs> yeah. He's going to knock himself out. Um, but that's such a gift in our marriage to have two very different strains of interests that come together and great dinner table conversations. And when the two-year-old is saying why for the 16th time, and my husband will launch into a treatise on God and humanity and why these, and she's like, "Never mind, we're good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you, you made a mention of something, uh, that, that I don't hear very often and it's, um, the term Christian imagination. How would you define that and and how do people get engaged with something like that? Because that's not something you hear a whole bunch. It's like, really, Christianity often surrounds serious, very serious things. And I know you mentioned that in your book, Happy Now, um, but kind of tell us about what, how you would define Christian imagination and what that engagement kind of looks like. Absolutely. We're, We're designed by a loving creator to be creators. Mm-hmm. And so we are designed to imagine. And I think one of the things we're seeing now in our culture is this rise of conspiracy theories because our imaginations have been very anemic and, and we mm. want to believe, right? We want to look for bunny trails and clues and breadcrumbs. And when we're not training and feeding our imagination well, we fall prey to all sorts of things that we shouldn't. So I would define Christian imagination as seeking wholeheartedly after truth, beauty, and the gospel. Mm. And beauty is not, you know, I live in Orange County, California. Beauty is not Botox. Beauty is (laughs) art and music and science and, right, like the depth that God has to offer. One of the things I so valued about my education at Wheaton was they, they did not shy away from hard questions. They said, God can handle your biggest philosophical question, your biggest scientific question. God is here. We don't have to be afraid of asking. Um, and so that's true at the art museum. That's true at the mm-hmm. concert that all truth is For God's sure. truth. And we can dive deeply into those things without having this posture of fear and, Ooh, is it okay? And Ooh, I'm not sure. And that doesn't mean we're not discerning. You know, sure. I, I cannot watch graphic violence on television. It does things to me that I do not like or want, right? I have mm-hmm. lines. We all have different lines, but 
I can read Frankenstein and appreciate, okay, what does this mean? And who is the monster and how does this happen? And so the freedom we see, you know, at our church, we're, we're investing in a lot of artistic initiatives when our teenagers are like, oh, oh, you don't want me to write a song that's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You just want me to write a song, like the best song I can possibly write. And that will glorify God. Mm. Is such a is such a gift, and that God uses that. The cathedrals in Europe used to have the best art, right? And now we're like, I don't know, can we trust it? This <laughs> this painting that someone made that isn't explicitly yeah. Jesusy. Um, so it, it's it's opening up to this freedom with Christian discernment um, to play, to play with God, to play with each other. Mm. That's good. So that's a good. I, I definitely want to get back to art. Maybe we can come back to that at the end there. Um, give us the elevator pitch for your book along with um, kind of what you would like to see it accomplish or the conversations you'd like to see it start in the, uh, in the church and in the world. I love that question. The, the elevator pitch for the book is that God has designed us and created us to play. And that when we step into playfulness, not as a luxury item, I'll do that later when I have time. Um, but when we step into playfulness, we open up to greater innovation, creativity, joy, and connection. And those are all things that God wants for us and all things that help us connect more deeply with Jesus and more faithfully with one another. So the story of the book is, um, why is the church so serious? Why are we so serious? And what can be done about it? Mm. So it's my own story. I write out of points of pain in my own life. We have three young children. We have three vocations between the two of us, my husband and I, and we had just gotten serious because it's really hard to be playful when you haven't slept in eight years. Mm, <laughs> just, yeah, that's true. But rediscovering God's heart for play and that it doesn't have to be a big, heavy to do. It can be 10 seconds and that 10 seconds can fuel you for the next three hours. Um, and discovering all the places in scripture where we're invited into play and how often scripture goes to poetry and it goes to metaphor and it goes to story and even though the shortest way to explain the gospel is, you know, Jesus loves you and died for your sins, it takes this entire, this entire text to tell that story because that's how humans work. We have to get it at an angle and get it in a different way and get it through Luke's eyes and also through John's eyes and then through Matthew's eyes. And mm. so the, the story of the book is, yeah, God invites you, gives you permission and invites you into play. So a person might hear that and say, I have some apprehension because <laughs> when I think about sin, that's serious and we shouldn't take that lightly. Or when I hear about the, the holiness of God and how that juxtaposes to the nature of man, things like that, that comes to somebody's mind. So as soon as you say, say Christian, you can play, you can imagine. It's like, no, but you know, the, the stuff of the world is very serious and we should take it seriously. What would you say to a person who might have that knee-jerk reaction to kind of push that idea away? I think to get to the heart of that is to get to the, the difference between seriousness and earnestness. I quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the book in his sermon, which was titled Learning to Die, not a playful title for a sermon. He writes about <laughs> yeah. how only God is entirely in earnest right? That mm. God is weighty, that God is holy, that God is profound, that, you know, there's nothing in God that when you bring God, your pain or your sin or your struggle is going to laugh at you, right? Like God is in earnest and holds us so tenderly. But the difference between being earnest and being serious, right? Serious is, is joyless and God is not joyless. God is never joyless. Serious 
is it kind of accesses that reptilian cortex in our brain, right? The, right. the wonderful, the family systems theorist Edwin Friedman writes about how the lower an animal is on the food chain, the, the, yeah, the lower it is on the food chain, the less it plays. Mm. Hmm. Lizards don't really play. Otters play. Dolphins play, right? The more complex an animal is, the more it plays. And so there's a way that the more serious we become, the more simple we become and the more inward focused we become. And so, yes, sin is serious because sin is evil. Sin is wrong. Sin is bad. It pulls us away from God. Mm. But the more we walk in holiness and in faithfulness, the more we open up to the wonder and the more we open up to the whimsy and the more we open up to the holiness, right? The serious things in our lives are our sin. Mm-hmm. And so that's the journey of happy now. It's not don't take your sin seriously. It's let God lift this from you. Let God transform you. And mm-hmm. the more we walk with the Lord in these spiritual disciplines, the more we are opened up into this joy. You know, some of the most joyful people you two probably know are people who have been saved from some serious stuff, right? Mm-hmm. They sure. can say, God has changed my life. And they have this joy because they know what it was to be in a very different place. Yeah. That's great. Another thing that just kind of occurred to me, I was looking through the uh, the front of your book. You have a lot of um, endorsements, one being friend of the show, Karen Swallow Pryor, that we mentioned before. I actually kind of have two questions. One, what's it like to see somebody like Dr. Pryor, who you've already said you admire, read your work, and then have such kind words like basically saying, this was really enjoyable, and I want Courtney to keep writing a lot more books. Like, what's that? What's that feel like? I mean, that one made me cry in a good way, <laughs> in a good way, <laughs> because these are literary giants and these are, these are heroes of the faith. And one of the things I love about Dr. Pryor is she has this really generous spirit where she's not looking for, Ooh, we disagree Very on this much. point of doctrine. So I can't, right. She's a Baptist. I'm a Presbyterian. Like I'm, I'm living in Southern California. She's living in the South. We have very different, different lives, but she is able to pull out the the gems and see the faith that that is this undercurrent. And one of the things I'm most proud of with these endorsements is that there's this really wide spectrum of people of faith, um, men and women, young and old Baptists and Presbyterians who, who are able to say, okay, like I see what you're getting at and, uh, and I want that too. Um, so it's, it's really amazing. And mm. that, that fits so well. I, I was just looking at all, all of those and that really kind of lines up with what we want to do here on the substance. When it comes down to it in a lot of ways, we're actually very theologically conservative on a lot of things. It's just that that whole, those labels kind of got hijacked by a lot of people who we don't, we find we don't have a whole lot in common with. Mm. But just looking over some of your work and some of your bio, I'm like, I'm sure some of the people are going to reach out and be like, have you read it? Do you you agree with this or that? And it's like, well, like, you don't have people who are in the family of God that in order to have fellowship, in order to have unity, in order to be like, that is great and beneficial and good. Like you don't have to have a total agreement on everything, so it's it's always encouraged. Uh, what did we say this on? When I was younger, ecumenism kind of had like a negative vibe. Slippery it was a slow. little bit almost like a dirty word. Like nobody would say like that's bad, and we should not aspire to that because like unity was good. But then it's like, well, we have these people in these churches and that churches, and we don't agree with their theology. We don't agree with their praxis, and. And there's some things like there's one thing like, do we want to go in full time ministry and and found a church together? That shouldn't need to be the criteria of 
can we be civil? Can we promote the mutual good? Can we say, like, amen, brother, amen, sister, these are good things you're saying. This is good ministry you're doing. Why can't we do that more? <laughs> I think that's the question and, and such an important thing to talk about because for so long, there were kind of these buckets and you put people in buckets and it was, well, I don't agree with them on everything. Like, spoiler alert, I've been married to my husband 14 years. We don't agree on everything, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and that shouldn't have to be a caveat because we should take all nuggets of truth and hold them up to the light of the gospel, no matter who is preaching them. And I think we get in the same type of trouble if we attend a church and think, well, the pastor said it, so it must be true. No, Paul tells you, you know, hold these things up in the light of the gospel. And if it doesn't ring true to the rest of scripture, then we need to talk. Yeah. Um, we're studying Philippians at our church right now. And I love that Paul says, you know, but no matter what Christ is preached, pre people are preaching it out of envy and rivalry and yeah. who even knows, but Christ is being preached. Yeah. Whether in pretense or in truth, like I, even the people who are like really wilding out there, I'm like, I know some people in congregations of churches that I would be like, I would recommend that nobody go there. But I also know some of the people that go there we're being fed in ways and praise God for whatever, yeah. <laughs> like God works in a whole lot of ways. And that's, that's, I don't know, just that disposition, disposition, that's something here at the substance that we really do want to cultivate just generosity and graciousness and, and looking for the things that we can affirm, obviously not saying, Hey, the, the important things don't matter. The fundamentals of the faith don't matter, but even the people who complete, who are irreligious and atheistic and have complete contempt for the word and the Lord and the gospel, we should be looking for things that we have in common with them and being civil with them. Like it's, yeah, the, the whole combative nature is a very, uh, very dangerous thing that we're working yeah. pretty hard against. And I think that could be a point where we can start to let, like you were talking about Courtney, like more joy in and things like that, because we're not that far displaced from a person who disagrees with us or maybe is far away from the faith because it's, you know, it is only by the grace of God that we are where we are. And so, and it is only by the grace of God that we stay where God has us. And so for that reason, it's like, I can be gracious because just, you know, several moments ago, whether that was a month ago, a year ago, whatever, I was the one who was rebellious towards God and didn't, you know, didn't have that heart to want to engage. So it, it ought to let in more joy and more, just more grace, like you said, Phil, uh, in, in that regard. Courtney, I did want to ask, so before people start to buy that book up, um, before they get it, um, tell us one, what you would say practical thing as far as like latching on to Christian imagination. If a person's saying, you know what, the idea sounds sweet, but I don't even know where to start. Like, how do I even engage in that? What would be a recommendation that you would give them? I have a chapter in the book called Jazzy Jesus. About I was just how, looking at that. <laughs> yeah, about how God invites us to improvise. I, mm. I think as someone, especially as someone who grew up in the faith and knows uh -huh. a lot of these Bible stories backwards and forwards, I can forget that Jesus was in the moment, right? And Jesus being fully human knows what God reveals to him by the Holy Spirit, but doesn't like come into everything with a playbook, right? And then this mm. person will say this and this person will stand and then I'll turn to the left. Like it's not, it's not a, a script that he has in front of him. And so often we see him using what's available to him, you know, mm. the, the mustard seed and the lost coin and the, you know, go fishing and you'll get your tax money and, and just living in the moment. And so I think in terms of Christian imagination, we can be very rigid in the, you know, what does God want me to do? Is it X or Y? Is it A or B? How do we do this? And this permission to 
improvise, to experiment, to play a little jazz, that life does not all have to be Mozart that comes right on the beat, Mm. you know, but God is saying, reach out to that neighbor. And you're like, I don't know how to do that. And God is not going to hand you a script. God's going to say, you know, when you drive home from work today, that neighbor is going to be by the mailbox and you look up and the neighbor is by the mailbox and you're like, okay, I guess I'll go talk to the neighbor by the mailbox. So to just not have to know how it's going to go down to be able to live with the Lord moment by moment. And then sometimes you go home after that encounter and think that went very badly. <laughs> let's <Yeah>. let's replay. <laughs> that was that was a dissonant chord. Um, but to live in this freedom that God goes before us and God goes behind us and God goes on every side. And we are we are held and we are loved and we don't have to be so rigid. The gospel does not depend on us getting it perfectly right because people are people. Yeah. Doctrine is important. Theology matters, but also talking to your neighbor at the mailbox, you're working without a net. It's a live situation. Go out there and try. And man, what an alleviation of pressure in that regards. Cause I remember back when I like first don't have to be perfect. Yeah. I promise, man, when I first became a Christian, one, I had a, a lot of joy and motivation because of what had happened, but it was also this pressure of just like, I've got to get like what points of the gospel? I gotta tell them that they're a sinner. I gotta tell them that, <laughs> you know, you know, that they need the Lord, that they have to repent and believe. Like I can't, I can't leave off the believe part. And right. it's almost to the point where it's just like it, it's almost seeking to plan out a script. And then if the conversation doesn't go the way you thought it would, then that's tapering things off. And it's it's just super interesting how that can take a bit of pressure off. On the perfection thing, that is just, that's an impossible load. Like, like when Christ said, and he's rebuking the Pharisees, and he's talking to the people, he's like, my load is light. Yes. Like, my yoke is easy. There are rules. That there is a holiness without which you will not see the kingdom. Mm. But, like, it's not about you need to conform to the standard. It's you need to, you need to seek this, this deity and, yeah. and fall on his grace. Yeah. Not obey all the things and then chastise everyone else who doesn't obey as good as you. Right. That seems to land you in the Pharisees camp, which is not where we want to land, right? Yeah, just it takes off a lot of that pressure because all we're trying to do is though there's good intentions, there's the intention to, you know, see someone radically transformed in the same way that we were. But I think one thing that we forget is how somebody just did life with us. And that's what yes. often led us to Christ. Um, it wasn't an abandonment of the gospel, but oftentimes that presentation was very organic. Um, mm-hmm. And so it just, it just relieves so much pressure. And I think that, that with that pressure alleviated, like you said, in that improvising, it just allows joy and just be able to enjoy the conversation. And if the Lord opens up a door to, to, to give that person the gospel, <clears throat> then go ahead, give them the gospel. But if, if not, then you had a fantastic conversation with your neighbor, and that's, that's fine too. So I, I think that's just a beautiful, a beautiful take. So on the on the topic of both neighbors and failing upward, hopefully in our Christian life, you have a chapter on investing in community. What what would you what are your thoughts? What do you say in the book? But what are your thoughts on both the the pillar, the importance of the fellowship of the saints in one's life, and then also just the community, the the neighborhood, the city you find yourself in, those the faith community and the world community, like how does investing in those communities sharpen us and also help us help us grow and correct our, our errors? 
I, I interviewed a play therapist who's actually the wife of our senior pastor. Her name is Malika Clellan to talk about play. I was like, teach me, this is your thing. Teach me more about play. And she said, play is anything that brings us joy and connection. And so she talks to a lot of parents about playing with their children. But what I learned as I went deeper into these practices of play is that community is such a vital piece which I wasn't thrilled about because I'm very introverted. <laughs> I, uh-huh. I like books for a reason. And <laughs> <laughs> what I began to discover was that community is such a vital part of play because community helps bring us outside of ourselves. Mm. So it's both the call to you know rally people. And I tell the story of our, our recent Friendsgiving where we invited 40 people over thinking they'd be mostly out of town and all of them came. Oh, <laughs> we just wow. kind of like, okay, now it's a potluck. Um, so it's about us, you know, engaging and investing in community in those ways, but it's also about letting people invite us into things that bring them joy, that help lift our spirits. So I sent out an email to all of these friends and family members and said, what do you do that's fun? And can I join you? And I got invited to do all of these things I would never normally do. I went to the archery range. I went to this trendy indoor spin class. I thought I was going to die. Um, I went, you know, beach walking and mountain climbing and all these different things and realized that, you know, God has put us in this beautiful community of people with very different interests. And you learn something incredible about someone when you watch them do something that they love. Mm. You see a side of them you've never seen before. So it's good for building staff and leadership retreats. It's good for building up families, but it's also just good for loving people well. If someone you know loves to fly fish and that's not your thing, but you go with them, you, you have built connection, like good Mm -hmm. gospel connection. Like you said, doing life together. Mm -hmm. That's such an incredible idea. That is a, we don't usually give imperatives on the show, but like, man, send some texts to people in, in your small groups at church. Like, what do you love doing? I'd love to do that with you. That's fantastic. Yeah, that really is. Cause I mean, we all know what it's like. Uh, Vince is a big music guy. I'm a big cinephile. Like when I meet somebody that loves movies the way I do, it's just like the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. So like we hopefully are are praying for the people in our, our little community groups in our church. And hopefully part of our Bible study, part of our spiritual disciplines are to to sharpen them and to edify them. But just what do you love doing? Can I do that with you? Like I've never, that's a wonderful thing to do. Man. And it's so easy to do because it's just, just take time. And even though time can be (laughs) hard to give, especially depending on the place you are in life, but that, that's, that's just, that's a really good idea. That's, that's a really good one. We've been working back from all of the pandemic difficulties at our church and the best investment we've made We're you know, we're doing all these Bible studies and small groups. The best investment we've made in terms of building community is we purchased three ping pong tables and they're on the patio after worship. And the men in our church pack an extra pair of shoes. They pack an extra shirt because they know they're going to sweat through it. (laughs) And they come to church on a Sunday morning because they want to beat my husband in ping pong and they want to beat each other in ping pong. And it's been amazing because people used to come to church and then they leave and they're gone. They stay for hours and Mm. kids play and people laugh. And suddenly it's, you know, I've never been in a small group because I was really scared, but you know, Jeff was playing ping pong with my daughter and he seems really nice. So maybe I could do it with Jeff. And we're seeing people connect to the faith in a deeper way that would never happen if we were just like, hey guys, Philippians, get excited, you know, because new yeah. folks are like, I don't even know what that word means. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm not here for it. So play for the sake of the gospel is so powerful. We learn faster. It, it opens us up to joy. It opens us up to connection. Truly. 
It's such a powerful tool and it's so easy and it's so fun. And I imagine it really does help make you a more well-rounded person. Like if you're like most people, your the time that you spend on your phone, the more time you spend on it, the way apps and social media and various um, consumable technologies are created is that you things get tailored to you and the people who like the things you like and who think the things you think and who have the experiences that you have. Mm-hmm. Those are the people you keep seeing. And there is value in that. It, like, Courtney, I'm sure you, you light up when you hear somebody talking about a book that you love. Like, that is good. That is valuable. But like you said, when somebody says, hey, like, let's go, let's go shoot bows and arrows and you've never done that. That's a whole new thing. So like yeah. the, the fellowship of the saints, like the, the diversity in the family of Christ, we are meant to make each other's experiences more full and kind of in the terms that we're speaking here as far as play, like, yeah, you, you, you can yeah, become more playful and kind of learn new, new ways of enjoying the common graces of life that kind of do make your life more a more full experience yeah yeah i want to play devil's advocate really quickly and I, it's, it, I, that's vince's I, role on the I typically do this. i know you've listened to a few episodes yeah. <laughs> i don't know if you've heard him he loves he loves being the devil's advocate oh, we gotta get him a hat. It's, it's been a little minute it's been a little minute but um so i'm thinking in terms of a person who hears what you're saying and you know get in community and have fun and have imagination and be playful and improvise and all of these things and they're saying you know what I don't want to create, um, and maybe this is the wrong word. Maybe no one would say this particular word, but maybe somebody would say these words. I'm yeah. sure somebody would say whatever it is you're about to say. <laughs> uh, but just maybe their mind is saying, I don't want to create trappings in a sense of luring, especially when it comes to engaging with people who are not like of idleness faith. or something yeah, else. No, it's more just like, I don't want to create this idea around Christianity or my faith when I'm evangelizing, especially that kind of over glorifies playfulness and and just engaging because I want them to know the gospel at the end of the day. And so I don't want to gloss this thing up because I've heard plenty of people talking about like, you know, uh, the Lord doesn't, doesn't guarantee all of these health and wealth and all these things. He guarantees, you know, suffering. And so it's it's coming, and it's like yeah, there's, there's truth to it. Don't get me wrong, um, but I think that sometimes is the the mantra that leads an individual to kind of reject these ideas and just say no. You know, I'll have a conversation at the most, but I'll I just want to talk to that person and then get to business. You know, mm-hmm. and I I don't want to create this facade that all of life and all of church is just fun and games. Uh, the Christian life isn't fun and games. It's 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 about business, you know. So, mm-hmm. to a person who might say something like that, what would you? How would you in- encounter that conversation? Like the whole somebody who reads, better is it to to go to the house of sorrow than the house of mirth or whatever. Like, yeah. and like, and that's their life first, and they're like, <laughs> no laughter. We're we're gonna be sor- We are gonna embrace the 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 somberness of life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are you so playfully minded that you're no heavenly or earthly good? That's sure. that the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the book is not 
a book of toxic positivity, right? Like be happy. Let's have mm. fun. Yay. We're doing church and then we're doing TikTok, And then we're I right. Was like just that's... introduced to that term recently. <laughs> yeah. It's designed to grant permission in part because this is one of the most effective evangelism tools that we have, that mm. the gospel would be as beautiful as it truly is, that the story would be as enticing as it truly is. Um, and that said, we have a responsibility to train our appetites, right? I, I think of the quote from um, Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life, who says it's a, it's a crime or it's a sin to bore a child with the gospel. And that's <laughs> true, but we also can't come to church for the laser light show and, the, and now we're watching Veggie Tales, right? Instead of a sermon. And yeah. we need to be trained into these depths. But the fact is that we train ourselves into these spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines more effectively and faster and easier when there are playful elements involved. So it's yeah. not all of one or the other, and it's not, don't worry, be happy. It's, we need to go through the process of lament, and on the other side of that is joy. We need to go through the difficulty and the sorrow and the suffering, mm -hmm. and God is present to us. You know, you think of a, an Irish funeral, an Irish wake, where everyone is also telling stories and laughing because they loved this person so deeply. It's not that they're not sad. It's that jo joy and sorrow are close cousins, um, yeah. and they, they walk together. So I would say what we are seeing in our church and what we are seeing in our youth ministry and also our adult ministry is that when people foster this joy and connection, they learn more and it sticks better when we can acknowledge that joy and suffering go hand in hand. And it's not a forced thing, right? It's not a, well, yeah. gosh, I'm sorry. You, you know, you lost this loved one to COVID, but come to bingo, right? It's not yeah. that. You've had so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that. Um, but it's, it's learning that this is the way human beings tend to function. And yeah. we have neighbors who will come to our block parties, but they will not come to church. And after years of these block mm. parties, they are starting to come to our church. Um, and it's not that we pulled them from another church. It's that they haven't gone or they haven't mm -hmm. gone in 20 years because of that joy and connection and ping pong and popsicles and just repeated, we love you no matter what. And we're not even inviting you to our church, but you know we, that we work at one. And oh goodness, now it came up because you're asking because you know we love you and we've yeah. played with you. Well, that whole like when you're evangelizing yeah. somebody, the essential ask when you get down to it is like, hey, join me, like live like me. And mm -hmm. if you're just miserable, not that evangelism or not that sharing the gospel is about just like the optics, because I mean, Christ says in the gospels many times, like it's not going to be a popular message. Part of the good news of the gospel is all the bad news that comes before it. Like it's not just the warm and fuzzies, right? but love, love needs to be there. And, and the way God made the world all the all the graces he gave, all the joy, and I mean, you you talk about in, in the whole jazz and all that. Like, if you look at the ministry and the life of Jesus for the the common person, not the religious hypocrites, but for the common people, Jesus's touch was light. It was it's like let the children come to me, let me let me take care of people's physical needs, let me feed them, let me heal them not let me let me scold them and tell them all the things that they're wrong about. We need to tell people, like at some point, the gospel is like, you're living wrongly, you're believing wrongly, you need to repent and believe. You need, mm -hmm. to, you need to turn from the things you're pursuing to pursue holiness, to pursue Christ. 
but th- there are different ways to get that message across. Yeah. And it's it's also something we ought to explore because it's it's one of the fruit of the spirit. It's love, joy, yeah. peace, you know, gentleness, all of these things. It's like this is this is a part of how we're supposed to walk. You know what I mean? And so it gets us to a point where we ought to explore. And I think your your book, Courtney, can possibly help an individual who's who's maybe wrestling in that area of like, how, how do we exercise that fruit of the spirit? Because it's supposed to be a part of the outworking of what God has done um, in, in justification and in that, that sanctification as we are being more conformed into the image of Christ, then these things should continue to be bountiful in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And so it's, like you said, I, what, it, what it screams to me is balance. It, mm-hmm. It's just like there is going to be a time, like you said, it's not toxic happiness where it's just like ignore everything around you, just be happy. Which I struggle with occasionally. Yeah. I'm a pretty strong Enneagram 7 over here. <laughs> but it's also that balance of that all of life is also not gloom and doom. You know, that there's God put joys in this world for us to enjoy. And so we, we ought to. And like you said, the biggest thing that I'm getting into recently is creativity. And, and it's just like, it, there's no way to crack into being creative if you don't, especially if you're a believer, if you're not taking into account God's understanding of joy and beauty, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about play is it helps us with all those gospel imperatives, right? When Paul says rejoice always, mm-hmm. I used to read that as this white knuckled, like, okay, I need to be happy. But <laughs> the beautiful gift of play is that it does it for us. It gives us that spark. So it's not will yourself into happiness. It's, you know, when someone tosses you a Frisbee, catch it and throw it back. And suddenly mm-hmm. there's that bubble of joy and you didn't have to do anything. So this pattern of playfulness is invitation, right? We invite someone into play or God invites us into play or we invite ourselves into play. And then permission is where we often get stuck. Like, well, I shouldn't. Well, I can't. Well, I have so much work to do. But when we give ourselves that permission, even for 10 seconds, even for 10 minutes, there's this spark, this spark that lifts us. Um, and so especially with those, those gospel reminders to, to rejoice and the fruit of the spirit being joy. It isn't something we can manufacture. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can actively work to complain less, to grumble less, you know, to to do all these things. But joy, joy is not a thing we can manufacture, but joy is a thing we can invite and we can make space for and we can and play is the quickest way there. Cultivate. That's yes. I yeah. love that word. So that's what the book tries to do is just grant this permission because so often the church has been the one saying, shh, sit down. This is very serious. And it's weighty and it's important and it is eternally significant. Mm -hmm. But because it is all those things, it cannot be serious because what Mm. people see when we're just this heavy handed, this is the way it is and you're wrong and you're bad and you should know is they're like, I don't want any part of that. Like that is not effective. That <laughs> it doesn't work that way. My grandmother is the faith heritage of our family, incredible woman of faith. She became a Christian because someone sat down next to her on the school bus when she was eight years old and said, just so you know, you are going to hell. 
she's the only person I've ever heard that that has worked for. <laughs> so I'm not saying it that's can't a tactic work. right there. That's a tactic right there. Hey, in pretense or in truth, God uses all things, right? Right. But are we are we enticing to people who have never set foot in a church? Do they want to have dinner with us like they wanted to have dinner with Jesus? Or are they like, that person is the one who's always yelling at me about not rolling my trash cans in on time. So no thank you. Yeah. Well, that's even, yeah. we've talked about that before. That's a qualification for church leadership is that, that you have a good reputation in your community. Obviously, not everyone in your community shares your values or your, your beliefs, but that, that you are respected, that you are admired to a degree that you're you're seen as a person of of character yes Mm. yeah going back to the community and sharpening each other i don't know what the process is like with uh rose publishing there with your most recent book but with all of your your people that you sent it to for reading and editing what was maybe was there a particular point or two that stuck out where you maybe got some feedback that was was helpful or clarifying in the process like i'm always kind of scared to send people things that i write but if i ever want to actually do it that's that's a big part of it yeah. what uh was there anything where you're like man that was really good like how somebody kind of helped you either distill it more clearly or maybe go oh like maybe maybe it's this instead of that I have a wonderful, wonderful editor whom I love. I've worked with her on all three books and she sent this one back to me and she said, it's great. It's peak Courtney Ellis. I love working with you. It's wonderful. You never actually play in this book. Like you never land on the thing that's like, I love to do this. This lights me up. This is so fun. She's like, you play with other people. You have this whole theology of play. You, you know, it work from the scriptures and quote all these wonderful theologians. You never got to it yourself and you cannot mm. publish this unless you land on it yourself or I don't believe you. And, and it was such a shock to the system that I had, I had, I had unpacked play so much, but I hadn't figured out how I like to play. And I realized that my play style is not what's usually seen as playful. I'm very introverted. I like quiet, solitary play. And what our culture tells us, right, is if you're not at the monster truck rally or you're not confetti out of a t-shirt cannon or, right, like play is big and loud and exciting. And so I had to work through my own play style. And so I took 24 hours and I just went and I read and I napped and I did some creative artistic things on my own. And I had like the best day of my life. And so to be able to realize that you don't have to play how everyone else plays. Don't ruin the boat trip for everyone. If you don't like boats, right? You can be a good sport, (laughs) Um, but also to know what really fills up your tank. And I used to say, you know, I love crossword puzzles, but Oh, I'm 105 years old. And that's so silly. And it was like, no, this really makes me feel that spark. And so that's okay. And the great thing is I can keep doing them until I'm 105. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. Man, and I think that's such a big thing, especially just in culture today, because I, I see so many people who, for some reason, one, you know, some shape or another, they are finding a reason why the thing that they like shouldn't be the thing that they like, or the thing yeah. that they enjoy is like, nah, I don't think so, because XYZ person wouldn't like it, or it's just not that very, like, you know, visually appealing, or I don't think anybody else would really enjoy it, so I'm not going to enjoy it. And uh, <laughs> I, so uh, Philip mentioned that I, I really, really enjoy music. And so I remember growing up, uh, a lot of people around me, and I, I, I don't know, we might get emails for this, but uh, they, they, they really disliked T-Pain. 
And I really like secretly enjoyed You're so shamed. much of Shane's work. But <laughs> Your T Pain fandom. Man, I was he I was just like, you know what? Yeah, he's garbage. Like, he's not tune is the best of, in your heart. I, I, in my heart, I was. But I was and, and so it got me to a point where I was like, you know what, whatever, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop this. And I was even regurgitating lines that I heard from other people. Um, <laughs> oh. but then I I'm not enjoying any of his music anymore. Like I turned it all off because it's like I want to be faithful to the thing that I'm telling other people that I hate T-Pain. Um, and then finally <laughs> <laughs> it just cracked through. Like, you know what? He dropped on a boat and you're like, all right, guys, I need, <laughs> no, I need to make an announcement. It was just, I think it was one of his, it, it was, I, I think it was one of his like solo albums and he just sang, he didn't even have auto tune. And, and I also saw the simplicity of his songs and things. And I was just like, you know what? I'm tired of of holding back. Like this dude is a genius, and I like what he. You know, obviously he's has some unsavory music, and you know, you you have to be cautious of what your heart absorbs. But um, you don't agree with everything. Is that what you're saying? You don't agree with everything. We have to do that qualifier. The dude is just a beast. And so, anyway, I say that as a testimony of um just those especially someone maybe hearing this who's like i do like this thing or i do enjoy this thing or i would consider this thing play um but you know for xyz reason some other external thing or, or person is telling me i shouldn't and it's like no if that's the thing that's going to give you energy if that's the thing that's going to like you said fill up your tank then enjoy that thing and even if it's by yourself help yourself because it's 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 good and especially for the believer, it's it's what's going to give you energy to then go continue to do the work that the Lord has for you. And resist the urge to monetize that thing that you love because it changes it. And sometimes mm. we get to do a thing that we love. You know, I get to write books and then sell books, which is great, but it does, it changes things. And I think especially for women, there's this idea that you have a side hustle or you sell the thing and, you know, to mm. just do, there's a whole chapter in the book on just doing useless things. Things that are not going to add to your bank account or slim your waistline or, you know, make your music career take off. Just do it for the love of it, for the sheer love of it, because God has put you in a world that has T-Pain in it. And you can like it even if no one else does. (laughs) Amen to that. (laughs) One more uh, one more question for our final segment. Um, Thinking of of, uh, like a a listener, uh, people in the audience who may go, man, like that really resonates with, with me. I want to do that. Maybe I've grown up in a culture that's kind of made me suppress so many things. Like, I don't know what I like. What would you, mm. what would you say to the person that's like, I'd really love to figure out what I like. Yeah. We, I interviewed a, a friend of ours. His name is Chris Blumhoffer. He's a professor at Fuller Seminary. And he was just really honest. And he said, you know, I've been in a PhD program forever. And I feel like my peers learned how they like to play in their 20s and their early 30s. And I never did. And now I don't know. And mm. how do I discover that at age 30, whatever? How do I like to play? Um, or for people who grew up in households where it was like, no, like this is this is serious. Everything is serious. Do not have fun. Um, I would say talk to people you love and ask them to invite you to do things that they love to do. And you may not love to surf or to hike or whatever they love, but it might spark something in you and watching the joy 
someone else experiences has a way of, of catching on. And even if that thing is not the thing you fall in love with. So I'd say ask people and join them and then find some useless things to do. Think of when you were really little, what was something you loved to do or you always wanted to try, right? Was it the, it was the good watercolors that your, your parents wouldn't buy for you because they knew you would, you would just mess them up. Or was it the, you know, the, the mountain biking trail that looked really dangerous and you didn't have a bike, um, or whatever it is to, to think back to when you were young and something that you really enjoyed. When my husband and I were living in Wisconsin, I mentioned to him that I used to ride horses and I missed it so much. I only did it for a year or two, but it was such a beautiful thing. And he found a group on and I got six riding lessons. It was me and a bunch of 12 year olds. And it was so much fun. And I didn't need to do it after that. I, you know, I didn't fall back in love with it, but I had a blast for, for six yeah. hours over 12 weeks. Um, so just give yourself permission. God invites you into that life of joy and connection. That's excellent. Right. Thank you, Courtney. Awesome. So yeah. finally here, um, for, uh, the last part of the show, before we let you go, we'd love to do some substance shout outs. I know you said you've listened a few times before. So when we have a guest, we like to kick it over to them and this goes perfectly, you've already mentioned a number of things uh, already that you enjoy. So substance shoutouts is what is it in culture? What have you watched, read, listened to, consumed, or engaged in that you have found edifying or enjoyable recently? I love that question. How many books am I allowed to list? Um, as many as you start- like. Trevor's, <laughs> Trevor's going to edit it. We'll, I'll, I'll make a list here, actually. I'll, I'll jump back in the slight here, Vince, and I'll take notes okay. on this one. Daryl and I have just finished watching a documentary on HBO called Hundred Foot Wave. It's about the quest. Oh yeah, I haven't started that yet. That looks excellent. The biggest wave in the world. It is a thing I will never do. Um, I will be the person who wades into the ocean, gets eaten by a shark. Not a thing. Not a thing for me. But it was so (laughs) engaging and interesting and fun, in part because the personalities of people who choose to do this thing, that they're very concerned with safety, but also they might die at any moment. Fascinating. Fascinating. Highly, highly recommend. Um, I've been able to read a little bit of the early draft of um, Alicia Aiken's book, which is coming out March 22. Um, highly recommend her as a podcast guest, but it's called Invitations to Abundance, How Biblical Feasts Speak to Us Today. I'm getting the subtitle wrong, um, but it's beautiful and it's poetic and it's all about food in the Bible. Um, and I'm all about huh. food and I'm all about the Bible. Nice. So both things. Um, and then I'm actually reading a novel by a, a Catholic writer named Michael D. O'Brien called Voyage to Alpha Centauri. It is a science fiction novel. I hate science fiction, but I love this book. It is huh. the story of, of folks who are traveling to, I'm going to get all sci-fi on you, but all, all this to say, he is a deeply, um, he is a deeply Christian writer, but it's not a Christian book, if that makes sense. Mm. It's it's a sure. it's a Pride and Prejudice. It's a Frankenstein, right? It's a it's there, but you have to search for it. And it's written in this really meditative quality that I find helps me detox from the day and fall asleep. So those would be my top three. Love that. I'll add That's that one awesome. on my list. I'm a big. I don't read as much prose fiction as I would like, but I love like thoughtful genre stuff. Is yeah. um, is really up my alley. He's yeah, he's Canadian, I, and our senior pastor is Canadian, and he's like, "Do you know this guy? You should know this guy. Here, borrow my books." Science fiction. Yeah, a Catholic Canadian Christian Canadian science, science fiction writer. Fiction, right? It's a whole. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. And my wife reads a lot of uh, Brandon Sanderson, 
and uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that's how she plays. And so I'm I'm almost thinking like I need to get back into that and just go ahead and 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 seek to engage, you know, because it's just I'm I'm very very encouraged by by your book, the work that you're doing, and and this interview. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And also, uh, before we let you go, Courtney, where obviously we'll have the book link in the show notes, but where would you prefer people uh, follow you, find you, connect with you? I'm on Twitter too much. That's one of the places okay. I play. <laughs> um, when I, people I know Great. in real life are like, I found you on Twitter. I'm like, oh my, okay. Um, <laughs> that's very public. I forget that. Yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter, Courtney Ellis. Um, my website is CourtneyBEllis.com. Do remember the B. There are a couple of Courtney Ellis's out there that are lingerie models. That is not me. Courtney B. Ellis. Very important. <laughs> remember Very the B. I will really make sure that I get that right <laughs> in the show notes. It'll be. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram a little bit. I'm a word person, so Instagram isn't my jam, but it's fun to connect with people over there. Um, and you can find the book pretty much anywhere. You can get it from my publisher. Um, you can get it at Tyndale House. My publisher just merged with Tyndale, so there. I was there. like, I didn't know Rose. I didn't know if that was under one that I would recognize. Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, Courtney, thank you for your time here. Um, and we, uh, we look forward to, uh, hearing, uh, hearing the conversations that stem from this. I really love listeners. If you go to people in your community, in your church, in your family, and you ask them what they love to do and do that with them, send us an email, send us a voicemail, yeah. DM us on Instagram or Twitter. We would love to hear about that. For sure. I want to hear about it too. Find me too. For sure. Tag Courtney, tag <laughs> Courtney and tag us in that. Alrighty, Courtney. Well, thanks. And, um, have a good evening. <laughs> thanks guys. Appreciate it. All right. That was Courtney Ellis, most recently the author of happy now. And if, mm-hmm. um, if you're listening to this, the week it drops the Sunday or the week that it drops before the next episode of the substance, you can go to our Twitter and Instagram where we're going to be hosting a book giveaway one chance to win on each platform. So if you're on both Instagram and Twitter, you can enter on both of those, share those with your friends. Um, Sounds like a really, really great thing. And Mm -hmm. as of the recording today, I don't know the order that all these are going to be released. We, uh, we, we continue to, by the grace of God, get more uh, people jumping on the 21 and 21 campaign. We are Mm -hmm. more than halfway uh, to our goal of not 21 where we're not at, what would that be like? 11, I guess, would be more than halfway. We're not quite at 11. We're at eight. But a number of those people have signed up at $10 a month. So we're more than halfway to our actual goal of 100 bucks a month. So it's very encouraging to see. Yeah. So thank you guys genuinely from the heart. Anyone who sends um, sends a little bit our way every month, the way you can do that is on the anchor link in the show notes. You can sign up at $5 a month or $10 a month uh, every month that comes out. It's nice for us to kind of see what's coming so that we can make plans as far as, well, what do we want to kind of invest in next? Uh, we, we took a little while, like, okay, we have enough for the website. Um, one of the next things is probably merch, maybe a little bit more guerrilla marketing with some mm-hmm. various things. Um, but this is an exciting time. So we thank you to everyone who does that. Uh, the other way, if monthly support is not really your style, doesn't fit your budget, what have you, you can give us a um, single time not that you only have to give it to us once, but yeah. on an individual basis, cash app at dollar sign, the substance pod. Think of that as the digital tip jar. You really love an episode, throw a couple bucks in there our way, and we would greatly appreciate that. 
Yeah, and just like Philip said, we're going to have a giveaway for this particular book, and you can't actually get anything from the giveaway if you're not following us on the socials. So follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Substance Pod, and there you can participate in this giveaway. I think it's going to be super beneficial to people who who will be able to get it and read it and just enjoy it and and take some of those things to heart. Also there, if you read something from that book and it's really inspired you to uh, just an area of joy in your own life uh, and playfulness, then absolutely tag us, tag Courtney um, on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and let us know what happened, as well as that's going to be our uh, substance shout outs and everything that we're doing on the podcast, um, behind the scenes, things we're enjoying. So please follow us on the socials. And finally, if anything in this episode sparked question, excitement, interest, uh, disagreement, um, whatever it is, if you have something substantive you want to shoot our way, our email address is thesubstancepod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, send us your thoughts at length. Email is a really great way to um (laughs) trying to find a better word than substantively but to uh yeah substantively engage um we we read all the emails that come in uh good ones really good ones when we especially when we do have permission um sometimes they can come up on future shows typically a topic toss-up but let us know what you think um odds like we will definitely read it and odds are that you will get uh, a response from us as well or another great way if uh, you just want to tell us what you think Um, You can call us at our phone line. That's 913-703-3883. We would love to hear in your own words, in your own voice, what your thoughts are on the show. So that's it for this week, and we will see you next week on The Substance. Peace. Did you lose Vincent there, Courtney? I did. Oh, he, offline. He got raptured. <laughs> Uh-oh, that doesn't look good for you and I. That's <laughs> very bad. So that's it this for part. this. Wait, wait, wait. You need to do that part, Vince. Okay. Um, wait, that's weird. This is no, a three-man deal. <laughs> okay. um, so we thank you for joining us this week on The Substance, and we'll see. Ah, thank. So thank <laughs> so that's it for this week. Pretty good two-man deal, okay.